0: Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, I'm your host, Hugo Che. Today we were supposed to have uh, my partner, Ralph Velasco, on the show, but he's in India now and uh, stuck in Delhi Airport due to a misconnection on a flight from Delhi to Varanasi or something like that. He will certainly be back next week. So now on to today's episode, which is an interview with uh, Andrew S. Gibson. Black-and-white landscape photography has a long and honourable tradition and in a sense is the purest form of depiction of natural landscapes, where everything is reduced to its basic shape, where the interplay of light and shadow and textures dictate the rules of composition, and the viewer's eye cannot be distracted by attractive colours. Andrew Gibson is a writer, publisher, traveller and photographer. He started writing articles about photography while travelling in Bolivia and has been published in several prestigious photography magazines, including EOS Magazine, where he worked as a writer and technical editor for two years. He recently published an e-book titled The Black and White Landscape that is all about rediscovering this hallowed art form and about getting the best monochrome images from today's DSLRs and mirrorless cameras. We interviewed Andrew to ask him about his book and his photography. Before jumping into the interview, I would like to mention that Andrew has decided to offer a 20% discount on all the products uh, in his store to podcast listeners. Head over to store.creative-photographer.com and use the offer code TTIM20 at checkout. The offer is valid until midnight, December 13th. You can find the link and all the relevant information about this episode at ttim.photo forward slash fifty-three. And now it's time to introduce Andrew Gibson. Enjoy. So a very warm welcome to Andrew Gibson who is our guest today. Hello Andrew.
1: Oh hello Hugo. How are you doing? Good, how are you?
0: I'm good. Um what part of the world are you currently in at the moment?
1: Uh, well, at the moment, I'm in Devon in the UK. That's ah, cool.
0: And you, you moved there from, you were previously in New Zealand, I think,
1: yeah? That's right, yes. Uh,
0: you avoided the earthquake. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. Yes, fortunately, yes. I've just been reading about that. So, yeah. yes, it doesn't seem very nice.
0: No, it's a bit scary. But The, the UK doesn't have earthquakes, I heard, <laughs>
1: Uh, Well, we have them, but very small, the kind Mm. that um, it's very unusual to get one that even somebody feels, let alone um, does any damage.
0: All right. So before we jump into the meat of the conversation, I would just like you to to introduce yourself a bit to our audience, uh, to tell us about uh, the story of your life, how you get started in photography and so on.
1: Right. Uh, Well, I guess, well, I got started quite a long time ago now. When I was younger, I thought um, it would be nice to give photography a go. And I asked my mum and dad for a camera for Christmas and uh, they bought me one. And it's been like a hobby and eventually a profession ever since then.
0: Yeah. How would you describe your photographic style?
1: Well, that's a very good question because... I'm kind of a comedian in that I do try a lot of different things out because of the nature of what I do. uh, I earn my living now by writing books about photography. And so the nature of the books is that each one tends to be about a different subject. So I'm constantly skipping from one subject to another. And uh, without really concentrating on one thing and making one particular subject my speciality. So the style, I, I don't know, I've never really thought about style much. Um, I, I guess it's something for other people to talk about when they look at my photos, if they think there's like a certain style there that, um, you, you know, they pick up on some commonalities between yeah. the, the compositions and, and things like that, Um but I wouldn't say that I have a particular style that I'm conscious about that I'm trying to use every time like I take a photo or put a series of photos together or process photos or anything like that.
0: No, I think that when people try to consciously develop or follow a certain style, it ends up being a natural and contrived. I think uh, style is something that it's what you are and what gets uh, out from your photos without even knowing. I, I'm not sure if you agree with that.
1: I, I do actually I think mm. you've you've got it right there it's you know if you're photographing things that are maybe a bit of a cliche but kind of true to your heart things that you're really interested in and the word gets overused but passionate about and mm. genuinely yeah the kind of things that um you're generally interested in photographing i guess is the best way of putting it, then you know that is part of your style your you know the subject matter that you choose
0: but what are you? particularly drawn to, uh, photographing? I mean, landscapes, people, what's, uh, what's your current most, uh, loved subject?
1: Uh, well, at the moment, uh, I've been photographing a lot of landscapes. Uh, that's partly because I wrote a, a book, uh, on black and white landscape photography. Uh, so the last few months have been spent, uh, taking a lot of photos for that and kind of coming up, um, What I'm interested in is still kind of related to the landscape, but exploring perhaps people's relationship with the landscape more. So looking at um, perhaps farmers or craftspeople, um, just some more kind of documentary style work, but looking for the links between the people and the places where they live and they work.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, very much interested in to that topic, the uh, relationship between people and uh, and the landscape. And uh, in your book, you mention also the differences between the the American landscape and the European one, where uh, Europe is much more uh, densely populated, at least in, uh, in most areas. There are yes. no real patches of uh, true wilderness anymore in Europe. So the landscape is shaped by people... In uh, in in a way that is uh, sometimes not present in uh, in places like the U.S. or Australia or New Zealand and so on. So, um, uh, what do you think? That's uh, that, that somehow drives your your photography. Are you more drawn towards uh, the wilderness or uh, something that shows the human presence?
1: I would say. Mm, That's a good question, because as you say, I mean, even in New Zealand, there is very little true wilderness left. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's surprising how a country which is, you know, hasn't had people living there for very long. even the Maori have only been living there for seven or eight hundred years and is relatively sparsely populated compared to most countries in the world it's still pretty much every almost every corner of it has been shaped by the hand of man in in one way or another and there's not much of it that looks how it would have looked before people arrived
0: mm-hmm. oh,
1: so i don't think i've ever actually had the opportunity to photograph a true wilderness now that i think about it you know somewhere that i would think of as being an area which is more or less untouched by people. Uh, I imagine they have quite a few of those in the United States and Canada, which are very big countries and have, you know, very big national parks in certain places and lots of uh, incredible scenery. But it's not something that I would say I've even had the opportunity to photograph in Europe or New Zealand.
0: Yeah, I see, of course. Yeah, there are national parks and so on, maybe some, but even some areas of the Alps, the, the, there's a lot of population so unless you you reach the highest mountains then it's um, you see signs of civilization everywhere it's uh, even if you don't realize the the actual landscape is uh, completely shaped by the human hand
1: that's right it's not sometimes until you read up on it that you realize that what you're looking at is um, you know has been shaped by people
0: yeah absolutely anyway your latest book is all about black and white landscapes Um, So a bit of a provocative question would be, isn't black and white a bit old-fashioned?
1: Yes, uh, I guess some people would ask that. Uh, No, I don't think it's old-fashioned at all. Um, It's different, that's all. I mean, color can be very hard to work in because there is so much color photography around. Uh, Your standard has to be very high. And I think with color, I mean, one of the reasons I like black and white is it because it opens more opportunities to shoot photos uh, than it does when you're working with color. So color, I think, especially with the landscape, you're relying on that combination as well as a beautiful scene, uh, beautiful light. Um, So usually you're shooting around sunset, the golden hour, you, you know, very early in the morning or whatever to get that beautiful quality of light. Uh, but you know, if the sun doesn't come out or um even if it's you know the weather's a little bit bad, maybe it's raining, or maybe you're there more towards the midday hours, so the light is a lot harder. These are all places where you can use black and white, and it works very well in situations where color wouldn't really be appropriate, but you don't have that really nice quality of golden light that you need for the best color landscape photos. so I think black and white as well as been something that's quite expressive because a black and white photo can be very powerful, Um, is also quite practical, especially for people who are not dedicated landscape photographers. You know, because there are Mm -hmm. photographers whose work I admire a lot, like Bruce Percy and Ian Plant, uh, two that come to mind, but they're also kind of adventure photographers and they go to extreme lengths to get themselves in some very beautiful and remote and incredible places, sometimes in very harsh weather conditions, and, you know, are not bothered perhaps about camping out for two weeks somewhere uh, to get the photos that they're after. You know, this book isn't really written for that type of photographer, and it's written more for the kind of casual landscape photographer, I guess, who wants to get better at what they do, but is not as dedicated as those guys. And I think black and white is very useful because you can use it in weather conditions or lighting conditions which are not yeah, perhaps ideal. the best yeah. but work very well in black and white.
0: So you would say that black and white is maybe more forgiving of not ideal light conditions?
1: Yes, yeah, so or perhaps ideal lighting I wouldn't say in lighting conditions that are not ideal, but lighting conditions that are not ideal for color photography. Yeah. So, for instance, I think the best example of that is long exposure photography uh, because people often do that uh, on cloudy days. Uh, so you get the, you know, especially if you're shooting at the sea, so you get the sea reduced to a blur because of the long exposure. You get the clouds reduced to a blur because of the long exposure. Uh, in And you can do that technique in... Conditions which would be very flat and probably quite boring for most color photography But it works very well in black and white because it's suddenly it's not about the light It's about the textures the textures of you know, the rocks the cliffs or perhaps man-made items like jetties and piers uh, you know contrasting against the smoothness of the sky and the sea and Yeah, the light is ideal for that type of subject, but it's not ideal for color Yep. It's ideal for the black and white approach. But so you
0: can just uh, look at a scene in color and decide, well, the light is a bit meh. I will make a black and white to somehow save it. I mean, it takes some, some elements of the, of the image, of the, the scene to make a good black and white landscape. What would you say are those?
1: Well, I think texture is very important. and uh, In fact, texture is probably the most important one of all. Because it's the textures, I think, that really draw the eye in black and white. And texture is very important um, in most black and white images. It's kind of interesting. If you look at the various plugins you can get from Lightroom and Photoshop, one of the big differences between the plugins and programs like Lightroom is that the plugins have lots of tools for enhancing texture. And I think that's just a recognition of the fact that texture is very, very important in all types of black and white images. So they give you more tools for controlling that. And then you have the things like, um, yeah, they're applying color as well, just as much, but good use of leading lines, uh, tonal contrast, um, yeah, all the regular sort of things that we talk about when it comes to composition.
0: Yeah, tonal contrast. I guess is very important. I mean, uh, you cannot rely on contrast between different colors, uh, That's right. cool colors, warm colors, to draw the viewer's attention to your focal point and so on. You only have to to really to rely on tonal contrast. So you have to to handle that well and uh, to be able to to bring that out correctly. Yeah
1: yes it's a good test of your observational skills i think that's what black and white photography is about in many ways but the good thing is is that once you start to recognize these things once you start to you know see tonal contrast and put it in your images see textures and lines and shapes and patterns and um, all, all these other things we talk about you can then use those in your color photos as well and i remember reading an interview many many years ago with a magazine article that was written in the 70s I think with the American landscape photographer David Muench I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce his last Mm -hmm. name but that's kind of how it's spelled and he said and it's something that's always stuck with me uh, he said that he's he, he works predominantly in color but he's a black and white photographer working in color because he had such a good sense of tonal contrast and texture and pattern and shape and line that he, all of his images would have looked fantastic in black and white. It just happens to be that he chooses to work in color.
0: Yeah, I think it's also a, a good training uh, exercise to, to photograph landscapes or, or any other subjects for that matter in black and white. In that you, you cannot rely on, on color to wow. The, the viewer you cannot just say oh there's a great sunset I'll uh, I'll photograph it because the colors are great and it ends up like being like uh, one of a billion different sunsets that end up on on social media you have to really work on composition lines uh, tonal contrast focal points and so on and then uh, once you master those then uh, adding color uh, just adds to the to the picture but doesn't actually have to depend on color.
1: That's right Um, and I think it's a good point you made about sunsets as well because I see a lot of people are attracted to sunsets and it's actually a very difficult time to shoot because you've got the high contrast between uh, the area of sky where the sun is setting and then the foreground which would be much darker and so it you know creates all sorts of problems in terms of Exposure how you're going to tackle that whether you're going to do HDR exposure blending or use graduated neutral density filters and you know all to create an image which May not look terrifically different from a lot of other images Whereas if you're shooting kind of around that hour Especially after the Sun has gone when the light can be very beautiful after it's set is a great time to be shooting or you're know, working on a cloudy day or something like that but in black and white you're starting to move away from that instinct which a lot of people have which is to shoot sunsets mm-hmm. and to I, I don't know i think you end up with better landscape photos when you move away from the the sunset the sunset itself mm-hmm. and you know being obsessed with getting the sun in the picture at just the right time which only gives you a very narrow time to shoot mm-hmm. in anyway when there's so many other productive hours of the day you could be using
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And speaking of tonal contrast and texture, I've seen uh, way too many photographs where those are a bit uh, over the top, to say. I mean, with uh, today's tools uh, and plugins and presets, it's very easy to to make your images look very, very crunchy or mm-hmm. too crunchy, too sharp, uh, too much texture, in my opinion. I think you, you need to exercise some some restraint in that uh, in that respect, and I think your photos are, are a good example of that. Um, what are your tools of choice when when it comes to uh, manipulating contrast and texture, uh, clarity, those things?
1: Well, mostly I process my photos in Lightroom at the moment. It's very rare that I leave Lightroom and go to a plugin, mm-hmm. so it is really. Um, clarity and um like you say contrast and yeah. um you know manipulating the tonal sliders and i use a lot of local adjustments as well so for instance um you know what one technique that i like to use is to just use the adjustment brush just to paint in certain areas where the texture is already present and then increase the clarity there but not touch the areas where there isn't much texture so it's just subtly emphasizing the difference in texture between those two areas
0: what about uh, keeping the tonal contrast in rain um, within limits when you're shooting high contrast scenes like you said with the sun in the frame the sky might be very bright when it's setting the the, the ground is dark um, in your uh, in your book you mentioned uh, graduated neutral density filters i have to admit that with uh, current crop of cameras which have exceptionally good dynamic range and we with the ability to uh, shoot brackets easily and with the latest versions of lightroom which like you i use almost exclusively you can merge into hdr directly in lightroom i find that i'm leaving my graduated neutral density filters at home most of the times what's what's your experience in that uh, in that respect
1: Well, I guess it depends on what you're shooting. I mean, I have a preference to try and get it still in one frame where I can and I like using the graduated neutral density Mm -hmm. filters but it depends on the subject if you've got a nice straight horizon that's easy if you've got something very jagged sticking up and it's a very uneven shape then you have to do it using uh, multiple exposures it's the only way that you have uh, because the graduated filter won't work properly so it depends very much on the scene that you're faced with as well. But I do have a preference for trying to get it in one frame Mm -hmm. if I can, because then that just gives you one photo to manipulate and kind of takes a a step out of the post-processing process.
0: Yeah, maybe my case is just that my best uh, GND filter has a scratch on it. Oh, well, that so doesn't help, I, does it? So if I use it, I have to remove the scratch later with Photoshop, and it's a lot of work, and sometimes it doesn't work very well. So just <laughs> just say, okay, instead of buying a new one, I'll just uh, bracket and then uh, merge it in post. And I said, it, it gives me good results. But, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, everyone uh, uses whatever fits his workflow. Yes, yeah, well, that's uh, called uh, pragmatism, is yeah, isn't it?
1: <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm sure if I lose or um, you know scratch or what, break or whatever, one of my graduating filters, um, I'll certainly be thinking, hmm, do I buy another one or do I just do exposure blending?
0: Yeah, for sure. And again, speaking of uh, equipment and tools, um, I know you switched to a mirrorless system from a DSLR. And that means you have at your disposal an electronic viewfinder that lets you, if you want... Uh, select the black and white emulation and see black and white in the viewfinder. Is that something that you use normally uh, or you just uh, see the world in color and convert to black and white later?
1: No, when I... When I set out to work in black and white, and I think this is an interesting point because, of course, now we're so used to being able to choose between color and black and white after we have taken the photo. Because if you shoot raw, it's easy enough to do in both. But, of course, back in the days when everybody shot film, you had to make your decision beforehand. Mm -hmm. So if you had black and white film in the camera, then you would go out Looking for things that would look good in black and white because that's the medium that you've chosen to work in so I think it's very useful to Decide ahead of time whether you're going to work in color or black and white I mean we have this wonderful luxury now of being able to change our minds afterwards if we want to Uh, but so for me I prefer to switch to black and white mode like you say And then I will see it in black and white, either in the viewfinder or in live view, depending on what I'm using. And it's a tremendous help to composition. And, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes even when I'm shooting color, I still switch to black and white. It may sound a little bit odd, Mm -hmm. but I think it works very well because without the color, I can see the tonal contrast and...
0: Yeah, it helps you abstract the the, uh, the composition at times. Yeah, that's a a good point.
1: I had a a strange experience with that. Um, Earlier in the year, we spent uh, a couple of months down near the city of Cadiz in southern Spain. And in February, they have a carnival. And I was taking photos of people at the carnival. They have performers that go around the streets and they're singing. And it's all very high-quality productions there professional quality and they work on their performances all year long and I was taking photos and I had my camera set to black and white mode so I was looking at everything through the viewfinder and black and white and it's kind of strange how a lot of my memories of the scenes are in black and black and white rather than color because I was looking through the viewfinder so much
0: yeah, and you're still shooting raw. I think that means oh, yes, you can yeah. always uh, change your mind and uh, and decide that you want the final image to be in color if you if you so wish. So, or you know, both. You, you can not, even make yeah.
1: a color version and a black and white version. Okay. I mean, it's just a fantastic luxury that we have to be able uh, to do that.
0: You're not limiting your uh, your options in that respect. That's right. Um, you're shooting Fuji at the moment, right? Which, yes. uh, for for people who don't were not familiar with uh, the f- <coughs> Fujifilm X cameras sorry um they have those uh, wonderful film emulations because Fuji was uh, great at producing film back in the old days and it still is so and it's nice that in Lightroom you can uh, select one of those emulations as a, a camera profile. That's right. which, uh, which gives great results. They're not exactly like the original, but they are good approximation. Do you have a preference for a specific uh, film type emulation if you use one?
1: Well, that's a ver- another very, very good question because it's easy. I mean, the film, emu- film simulation settings in the Fuji cameras are so good that it's very easy to get seduced by one. And, I wrote an article about this on my website um, because it made me realise that the film s- simulation setting, or we can call them colour profile settings, because the name varies between manufacturers of what they call this feature. Um, but the colour profile that you choose can really have a big effect on your processing because, you know, if we take the example of Fujifilm cameras, when I was in China last year. I was shooting in color, and in this case, I didn't set the electronic viewfinder to black and white. I wasn't shooting in black and white mode. I chose Fuji Velvia. So I had all of these wonderful, strong, saturated colors, and I found it very seductive because I was used to seeing it in the viewfinder and on the LCD screen when you play it back, and then I imported it into Lightroom using a preset which applied the same film simulation setting. So... When I was looking at them, deciding how to process them, it was quite hard to pull myself away from the velvier look, Mm -hmm. take a step back and say, you know, perhaps these saturated colors aren't the best way to go. How else could we approach it? Because... They are very beautiful, all of the settings, and for a while I used Classic Chrome, which is kind of the opposite of um, Foodie Velvia because it's uh, got some very wonderful faded color tones, and I really like that. And I have found the same thing because I was shooting in it, and then looking at the photos in Lightroom, which have been imported with the Color Chrome preset, it was hard to drag myself away from that, take a step back and say, you know, how would I process this if I wasn't already committed to, the, to that particular film simulation setting?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good observation. I, my, my personal experience, I'm shooting Fuji too, and I was recently in Greece and I came home and, um, I mean, I just started filtering all my photos through the, the Velvia preset or profile or whatever they call it mm. because i mean yeah got some gorgeous light uh, even during the day great contrast deep blue skies uh, the brown earth uh, the, the deep blue sea and so on it make for for great images in velvian sunsets are were wonderful and then i started to get a bit uh, tired of that look and i said okay yes. what if i what if i do a, a set of black and white photos of greece which are something that you don't see very often these days. Mm. And I'm, I'm I'm going to publish that set uh, uh soon. Now I'm thinking talking with you about black and white landscapes made me think that I should finish my set of black and white Greece images and and publish them. I think uh, it would be a refreshing change not not to get stuck in the in the velvia world which is so enticing.
1: Yes, and perhaps that's another good reason to work in black and white sometimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think whatever you do in photography, it's good to shake it up a little bit and try something that you're not used to. So if you're used to working in color all the time, try a bit of black and white and of course on the other hand if you're used to working in black and white all the time then try a bit of color or if you're using a certain lens all the time say a wide angle zoom then try a telephoto lens and just you know look at the world a little differently through a different lens for a while and yeah there's so many things you can do i mean if there's a technique you've never tried before well try that technique for a while if you've never done long exposure photography before you know buy a neutral density filter and give it a go or if you do neutral density if so if you do long exposure photography all the time, then try something at the other end of the shutter speed scale. See what happens yeah. when you use faster shutter speeds and things like that. And, you know, it's just play and experiment and see what happens.
0: What are your main sources of inspiration? Any great masters that you uh, aspire to, I mean, not copy, but at least get inspiration from, whether it's in black and white landscape or any other genre?
1: Well, the thing that amazes me these days about photography is that there's so many good photographers Mm -hmm. out there. I mean, before the internet came along and before digital photography came along, you know, you'd be forgiven for thinking that there was only a few masters of photography, because if you read photography books or photography magazines, they would tend to concentrate on quite a narrow spectrum of photographers, probably, you know, the the classics like Ansel Adams, and then whoever the top professionals working at the time were. But now you can go onto a website like 500px, and you can search for a location and it will just come up with so many really good photos from lots of different photographers and i think you know it's these guys not the big names i mean there's plenty of big names we can go online and you know search for the big names and um you know in any genre and be inspired by them but you know the people that just go out and do it because they love photography and they love the places they're taking photos of and they just happen to be really good photographers I think these people inspire me more um, than perhaps some of the, you know, the big names, the so-called masters, because mm-hmm. they're genuinely doing it because they love it.
0: Cool. Do you use sites like 500px that you just mentioned or Flickr to scout a location before going there? Or do Definitely
1: 500px. Yeah. Yes, it's very useful. But um, yeah, there is something that I try and bear in mind. And I interviewed a photographer in my book called Cole Thompson, who's a well-known black and white photographer. And he has an interesting concept that he practices called photographic abstinence. And what he does is the opposite of what we've just spoken about. And he doesn't research a place before he goes. Uh, He doesn't look at the work of other photographers. He does that deliberately so that when he goes somewhere, he's looking at it through a fresh eye. And I think that's a very good approach. It's probably one A lot of people wouldn't understand and even myself i haven't been able to commit to that properly myself so what i do is go on 500 px because the quality is high scout the location which is what i did when we traveled to asturias in spain recently so work out where all the prime locations are where the most productive beaches because it was mainly seascapes Uh, that I will be taking photos of and then try and put those photos out of my mind because if you see a very nice photo taken in a particular location and you're going to that location, it can be very hard not to try and take that photo that you've just seen because you like that photo and were so impressed by that photo. Whereas if you don't have those images fresh in your mind, you're more likely to go and see it in your own way and find the compositions that you find rather than chasing somebody else's photo, which has already been taken.
0: Very good point. Uh, I was familiar with Carl Thompson's concept of... uh photographic abstinence even before finding it again in your book and uh, unfortunately i don't have that luxury having to interview a photographer every week i need to look at their work to get familiar with it so i cannot just stay without looking at photographs for a long stretch of time but yeah i agree it's um it can be a good practice i i would like to to try it one day for a little while Okay, so I think we are at about the end of our a lot of time for this conversation. Even though I would like to to keep it going for more because it's um, it's really interesting and uh, a good something. As I said, I wasn't doing black and white myself for for a long time, and uh, I started doing it recently with my Greece photographs and. Um, your your book came at the right time to give me even more inspiration and uh, suggestions for, for ways of processing images and so on. So uh, where can people go and find more about you and about your books?
1: Well, the best place to go is my website, which is creativephotographer.com. Uh, that's with a hyphen in between. So creative-photographer.com and they can find all my contact information and information about the books and my articles and so on there.
0: Yeah, we'll put a link in the, in the show notes. And um, and what, what what's the title of your recent book?
1: It's called The Black and White Landscape.
0: Do you in think... Fact- Mm -hmm. yeah
1: sure go ahead sorry yes there's two books the black and white landscape and then the black and white landscape companion which has 12 interviews with black and white photographers
0: great Uh, do you think you would be able to give a discount to our listeners
1: oh definitely yes we can take care of that for you
0: yeah we'll put uh, maybe you give us a discount code later we'll put that on the show notes and uh, so people can go and and check them out, and uh, I mean they're great. I'm uh, uh, going to to finish reading both. I have finished reading the uh, the landscape photography book, um, the black and white landscape, and I still need to to read the companion. So that's going to be my. Uh, bedroom uh, bedside companion for (laughs) for a few days yes i think
1: you'll find it very interesting because um, you know it's nice to see how other photographers work and um, you know how they approach landscape photography and you know some of the yeah just some of the just the way that good photographers think Uh, is often just as valuable as knowing the technical side of it, how to expose properly and uh, what lenses you should use and filters and so on.
0: Yeah. And um, any upcoming trips that you have planned for which we might uh, look forward to seeing photos of?
1: Not really, no. Lots of ideas. But we've just settled in here in Uh Devon. and I want to explore this area here a bit more. And then as spring comes around next year, I guess we'll be thinking about traveling somewhere. But that's, uh, we've only just arrived here, just rented a house, just settled in. So um, at the moment, I need to just concentrate on getting to know this area, which is new to me. So it is kind of like traveling, even though I'm returning to my, you know, the country where I was born. This is not you know, the, the part of it where I grew up. So it is like traveling for me.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's, a, it's a great area. The whole south of England, especially the southwest, is uh, fantastic landscapes. I mean, you, you certainly know. I don't have to tell you. <laughs>
1: no, that's right. We've been exploring it. So yes, it's very beautiful.
0: Okay, so thanks again for being our guest today. Any final words before we say goodbye?
1: No, I don't think so. I think we've covered it all. I've enjoyed being here.
0: Okay, it's been my pleasure and uh, looking forward to your next books and and photographs. Have a nice day.
1: Uh, You too, thank you.